convinced from Scripture that all of those who truly believe on Him, they will be determined. They really will. And I've noticed it too in people's lives that the people who truly know the Lord, they are absolutely determined to follow Him. Amen? All right, let's turn to the book of Mark as we uh, continue to preach through the book of Mark. We come now to... uh, Verse number 22, Mark chapter number 3, and verse number 22, uh, we, last Sunday night we preached about the uh, choosing of his disciples, and we got to learn biblically what an apostle is. Remember, an, a biblical apostle is someone who the Lord has specifically chosen and called to spread the gospel, employed to do it. They are also they are someone who has seen the risen Lord with their eyes, and they are someone who can perform miracles and works and wonders for the advancement of the gospel and to glorify the Lord Jesus. And we learn what a biblical apostle is in the New Testament. Tonight, the Lord Jesus is confronted once more with his adversaries, and we're going to see again how Christ handles them. And tonight... We, uh, we get to deal with the subject. What's great about preaching through a book, you have to take them to come along. You know, we can't just pick like um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. And of course, that'll preach, amen. We can't just, uh, we're going to preach John 3, 16 tonight. And amen, that, amen, that will preach. But it all should be preached. It all should be preached. The whole counsel of God. We need to know all of it. And so... Tonight we come to this, a serious subject, and that is the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And we're going to deal with that tonight, Lord willing. You help me, if you pray for me, ask the Lord to help me, because that's one of those subjects that the water is so deep it goes over my head. Amen? So we need the Lord's help tonight with that. All right, Mark chapter number 3, verse number 22. If you're there, say amen. Amen. The Bible says, And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, speaking of Jesus, He hath Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, and by the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And remember, Jesus has just got through doing that to people. And what they're saying is that Jesus is casting out devils through the power of the devil. And so Jesus responds in verse 23, And he called them unto him and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom be divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, the house cannot stand. And if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house, And spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verse 28, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies which wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. So you can blaspheme God the Father, you can blaspheme God the Son, you can talk bad about the church, you can say, you can talk bad about the works of God. But in verse number 29, but he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. 
Because they said, He hath an unclean spirit. So what they were saying was that instead of attributing the work of the Holy Spirit, they were saying that, essentially they were saying that the work of the Holy Spirit is devilish. That they were blaspheming against the Spirit of God. That Jesus was casting out demons through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were saying this power is an unclean spirit. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this night. God, I pray you help us to learn something tonight. Lord, something that we can, that will be a conviction the rest of our lives. That we can answer some questions this evening. God, that you could do a, do a work of your spirit here this evening in our hearts and our minds. They will leave here with some clarity. And Lord, we might leave here with more questions, and that'll be okay too. Lord, it's wonderful to search the scriptures. And God, I pray you would work mightily here this evening, that you would, Lord, open our eyes to the truth and have it to be used, Lord, for your glory and for our edification and sanctification in our lives and our church. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you and thank you. In your name, Lord, we, ca- we ask these things. Amen. Now, briefly, we'll, we'll deal with verses 22 through 27. Even Jesus, it's, it's as if, so they come to Jesus and they say, you're casting out devils to the power of devils. The power the, the, through, in verse 22, he hath Beelzebub. By the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. Now remember, this is escalating in the life of Jesus. And when we're studying, we, so far as we've been preaching through the book of Mark, remember they're, uh, they're upset with Jesus because he's eating, He's eating with the wrong crowd, remember, in chapter number 2. He's eating and drinking with publicans and sinners in verse number 16. So they're mad at him for eating with the wrong people. And again, I'll remind you, Jesus is eating with sinners, but he's not sinning with sinners. He's eating with them. He's not sinning with them. And again, I want to remind you of this too, that Jesus, even in the presence of sinners, he he still says they need a physician. They're sick. They need a physician. He's he's sitting next to people, and he's openly saying in chapter 2, verse 17, they are not whole, they need a physician, they are sick, they are unrighteous, because I came to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he says in their midst, they're sinners. And the reason I'm here is because they're sinners. And the reason I'm eating with them is because they're unrighteous. And the reason I'm trying to help them is because they're sick. And I'm here to help them. So Jesus is eating with sinners, but he's not sinning with sinners. He's offering himself as the Savior to save them from their sins. And so I hope that we see the truth of that. There's a great difference, isn't there? Christ is sitting with sinners, and he's presenting himself as the great physician who can save them from their sins. And again, wherever Jesus sits, he's sitting with sinners. Whoever he eats next to, he's eating next to a sinner. For all have sinned, amen, and come short of the glory of God. The only difference between sinners is the clothes they wear, the type of food they eat, eat or the language they speak. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, amen? So first they're mad at Jesus because who he's eating with. And that didn't work. So then they're mad at Jesus because, remember, in chapter 2, That didn't work, so they say, but your disciples aren't fasting. So now they're mad at Jesus because they're eating. They're mad at Jesus because he's eating with sinners, and then they're mad at Jesus because he's just merely eating. That's 
You see how, how, how religion is starkly different than the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, they're mad at him because his disciples aren't fasting. And then they're mad at his disciples because they're, they're uh, pulling grains of wheat on the Sabbath day. And so they're, they're, he's, they, he, they accuse his followers of uh, harvesting wheat on the Sabbath day. And I, I think I likened it like it's the equivalent of like opening up a Pop-Tart on the Sabbath day, a package of a Pop-Tart, and that would be described as work. And that's what they're trying to accuse his disciples of doing. And now they're, they absolutely are crossing the line because now they're saying that Jesus is casting out devils through the power of the devil, that in the spirit of Christ, they're accusing him of possessing the spirit of Beelzebub. They're, they're accusing him of doing the works of the devil himself. They're essentially calling him a devil. That's what they're saying to him. And so Jesus, in verses 22, uh, excuse me, verse number 23 through verse number 27, he just asks us, he so easily refutes this. And he says, how could Satan cast out Satan? The kingdom against itself cannot stand, verse 24. We won't spend much time here, verse 25. If a house be divided against itself, it cannot stand, verse 26. If Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but hath an end. So Jesus is saying, if I was the devil and I'm casting out the devil, then that's counterproductive than what the devil wants to do. If I am the devil, why am I restoring and setting people's lives free why wouldn't I want them bound? It doesn't make sense, Jesus is saying. That's ignorant. It's crazy. You're, it's nuts. Why would the devil go against the very agenda of the devil? And Christ is proposing this statement to them. But then in verse number 27, he says something interesting. I find very interesting. He says, No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man. And then he will spoil his house. Jesus is saying that I am the one who is binding the devil. I'm in his house. That's what Jesus is saying. That the earth you could think of the world as the devil's house. As of now, he is the prince and the ruler of this world. He is the prince and power of the air. He is the king of this world at this present moment. And so the, this is the devil's house. That's why we're pilgrims and strangers in a foreign land. Amen. That's why this is not our home. That's why Christian people have trouble finding something to watch on TV. Amen? That, that's why sometimes we have trouble going to the movies. Or we, we don't fit in, in other words, because let's get some doctrine here. We are not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians. We are born from above. We are born of His Spirit. We don't love the world nor the things of the world. And we have rejected the works of darkness because we have come to Jesus Christ who is the light of the world and the gospel, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ has shined in our hearts, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And now we walk in the light of this world through Jesus which is contrary to the darkness of this world. So this isn't our home. So Jesus is saying, I am in the devil's house I have bound the strong man, and I'm spoiling his goods. And his goods were the people that he had possessed. His goods were the people that he had claimed as his own. The goods of the devil were the souls that he had in bondage. And I'm glad that Jesus still can spoil the devil's goods. 
And Jesus could still wreck the devil's plans. And tonight, you might feel like here tonight that you are bound up by the devil's plans or chains and you're in bondage and you're, you are in his prison and you think there's no way you can ever get out. Jesus Christ can bind up this strong man. Jesus can go into his house and tie him up and set you free. Jesus the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the answer to any works of darkness in your life. Amen? If you would trust in him and come to him, and you would renounce the works of darkness, and you would repent and believe the gospel, Jesus Christ in you has the power to set you free. Amen? He certainly does. And so that's what Christ is saying. And by the way, not only am I not the devil, not only am I not doing what I'm doing because it'd be counterproductive to the devil's plan, but oh, and by the way, I am the one, the only one, who is able to go to the devil's house, unlike you religious leaders, I am the only one who's able to tie the devil up and take his goods away from him. And that's what Jesus is presenting himself as. He's the strong man, amen? So then in verse number 28, there's this serious warning. And Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. Verse 29, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now, I've looked at this closely, and, I, and you might know more than me, but I'm unsure here if they crossed the line, if they did, Jesus is telling them they did, or Jesus is saying to them, you better be careful here, because you're fixing to cross a line that you cannot come back from. And that could be what Christ is saying. Either they did, or this is a very grievous warning to them, like, hey, you all are fixing, you better be careful, you're fixing to cross a line that you will never come back from this. Now that's either a serious statement of fact that they did cross it, or what a serious warning that is that he's telling them, don't play games with me. Don't cross this line, I'm warning you. They, remember, these are the religious authoritative leaders of the time, and Jesus of Nazareth is telling them, boys, you better be careful here. Now, this is where, where you and I also should pause, shouldn't we? This is where you and I should, I think to me, my heart is speaking to me, God is speaking to my heart and saying, rather, that we should fear the Lord, shouldn't we? That the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. This, uh, this lackadaisical approach to God is irreverent and dangerous to us, isn't it? That we should have a fear of God and we should be in awe of His presence. Yes, praise God, He's loving. Yes, He's full of mercies. Yes, His mercy endureth forever. Amen? Yes, He is the God of all comfort, but He is also the God of heaven and earth. Amen? And He is also, His name is above every name that has been given, and He is the Lord of all. Amen? So Christ is saying, hey, hey, by the way, you all better be careful here. Now, 
What is blasphemy? Blasphemy is like irreverent defiance. It's, it's like a mockery. It's, it's more than just like anger or expressing like a frustration with God. It, it is on purpose, this irreverence, defiance, or mockery against God or anything holy. That's what blasphemy is. So blasphemy is like irreverent defiance. So Jesus is saying, you all are being irreverent here. You all are being, you all are being defiantly irreverent here. You all, this is more than a disagreement we're having. That you are speaking against something that you should not. You need to stop talking. That's what Christ is saying. So blasphemy is irreverent defiance. But only here in this passage we see the specific sin of blasphemy, irreverent defiance, against the Holy Ghost that Jesus says in verse 29 can never be forgiven. Now never is a serious word, isn't it? Never means never. So Jesus is very specific about their sin. And even in, even in Mark, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says in verse 32, which is the same account, just from a different angle, from a different witness, Matthew says this, that Jesus said this, Whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, Jesus said, it shall be forgiven him. Like Jesus says, you could say bad things about me. Whosoever speaketh though against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him. And Jesus says in Matthew 12, 32, neither in this world, neither in the world to come, Jesus says. They blasphemed, or close to, against the Holy Ghost. Now, Jesus says, you can say it against me, but you better not blaspheme. You better not irreverently defy the Holy Ghost. Now, I believe what they're doing is, in light of all the evidence, that they cannot deny that this Christ is, is healing people. They have all the evidence that he is, he's the light of the world. He's changing people's lives. That they, remember, it's irreverent defiance. That it is on purpose. They know, they know or have an idea of who Jesus is or what's going on. And they say that what's going on is through the work of the devil. When they have a clue that it is through the work of God that's what's happening. And they are irreverently defying the work of God before their very eyes. And saying that Jesus is doing this, verse number 30, because he has an unclean spirit. Now the question is, you and I probably have, and I sure do, and I sure did, is can blasphemy against the Holy Ghost happen today? That's a good question, isn't it? We need to know the answer to that, don't we? Can blasphemy against the Holy Ghost happen today? Now, I believe, I don't, we can't, I believe we have to take verse 28 and 29, what Jesus says, that we have to take it literally. That Jesus, what he says, is what he means. Now, I used to think that it was impossible, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here, and you might disagree with me, I used to think that it was impossible to blaspheme against the Holy Ghost today. But I'll be honest with you, after searching the Scriptures, I find no Scripture that gives me the permission to say something like that. 
I think it would be irresponsible of me to say something like that because it's more convenient for me to hold that position. We need to let God speak for God. Amen? We need to let the Scriptures speak for the Scriptures. So in verse 28, Jesus says, All sins shall be forgiven. Every sin can be forgiven, Jesus says, unto the sons of men. In verse 28, All blasphemies can be forgiven, wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. All sins can be forgiven, but then Jesus qualifies it in verse 29, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Blasphemy against the Holy Ghost is an act that so grieves the Spirit that he forever withdraws him's, his convicting power, his drawing power, so that that person can never be saved because God's Spirit is so grieved by their blasphemy that he withdraws his convicting, drawing power over their lives. Now one might ask, is that, is that contrary to Jesus' message in, John, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time is fulfilled, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. What is Jesus saying then? Jesus, I believe Christ is saying that if you grieve the Holy Spirit and you blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God, that you are rejecting, you are beyond repentance. That you are on purpose saying to the Holy Spirit of God, you are a devil, I hate you, I despise you, I don't want you, I don't want you near me. Christianity is of the devil. I think Jesus, I, or excuse me, I think his Holy Spirit is of the devil. It's blasphemous. That In that moment, you're saying to God on purpose that the Holy Spirit of God is a spirit of wickedness and I want no part of it in my life. That is convictingly serious, isn't it? Jesus says all sins can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And you think, why is that unforgivable? Why are you beyond repentance when one blasphemes the Holy Ghost? Because it's the Holy Ghost that plays a unique and important role in our salvation. He is the power that applies Jesus Christ to our life. The Holy Spirit is the one who connects us to the love of God. It is, he is the one that convicts us of unrighteousness. He is the one that draws us to Jesus Christ. He is the one that shows us the love of the Father. He is the, he is the acting agent that unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So you could blaspheme the Father, you could blaspheme the Son, but it is the Holy Spirit and He alone that draws you to the Son, the Father, for salvation. Jesus says all sins can be forgiven, but never blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. What you're essentially saying is telling the Holy Spirit, I don't want Jesus. I, I think you are wicked. I, I think you are sinful. I think you are devilish. I don't want you. I don't want you. I hate you. I hate you. And the Holy Spirit, as a dove, flies away and says, fine, you get what you want. You are beyond repentance. Some might ask, can Christians, can Christians commit blasphemy against the Holy Ghost? Well, no, they've already been forgiven. They've already been a part of God's 
Holy Spirit power in their life. The Holy Spirit of God has already been working and active in their life. They have received Jesus Christ. They have responded to the Spirit of God. They have said yes to Jesus. They have embraced the Godhead. Absolutely. Also, Christians are a new creature. Christians' nature now is, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I want His power. Yes, I love the Holy Spirit. Yes, I love the Father. Yes, I embrace all things about Jesus. Absolutely. But Jesus says all sins can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And so what do we do about this? How do we handle this information? I think we should respond to it with with reverence. I think we should respond to it. And if you're a believer, praise God. And also, you might wonder, have I ever committed the sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Listen, if you are worried about it, then you could not have. If you are worried about Jesus, then it's impossible that you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. Because if you've blasphemed against His Holy Spirit, then His Holy Spirit is done with you. You are in your sin, you love your sin, you love where you're at, you don't want Jesus, you don't want His church, you don't believe His Bible, you don't love the love of God, you are contrary to Jesus Christ. If any one of us tonight is worried, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit of God, then praise God you haven't, because if you did, trust me, you would not be worried about it at all. You wouldn't be. You couldn't be. It would be impossible to be. Now, we might not like this subject. This might be uncomfortable. This might be where we would be like, I don't don't like that passage of Scripture. But I didn't write the Bible, and neither did you. And you can't make up a God that suits you. And you can't look in the mirror and say that you're the Lord of your life. Jesus says that all sins can be forgiven, but if you blaspheme against the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you won't want Jesus, you won't care about Jesus, you, have, you are beyond the point of repentance, you have so rejected the Lord Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit says, fine, if that's what you want, then that is what you get. Fine. And that soul, I believe, will never even know the Holy Spirit has flown away. They will never even be aware. They will live their life. They will never ever understand that they rejected the Holy Spirit work of God in their life to the point where the Holy Spirit said, fine, if that's what you want, then that's what you get. You know, we see this this subject in other passages in the Bible. How do we respond to this? Well, when Jesus says... All sins can be forgiven except, and essentially what Christ is saying is this, the Holy Spirit will leave you and you cannot be forgiven because he will not draw you to Jesus Christ for salvation. That's what it means. In the book of Romans chapter 1, not only can we sin, other examples of this, you might think, well, that seems rather harsh, but there's also, there's also two other, two other um, subjects in Scripture that essentially are the same thing. In Romans chapter number 1, we can can irreversibly harden our heart against God. Do you know that? That you can irreversibly harden your heart against God. And I know we think that God would never do that. You can irreversibly harden your heart to the point that you will never receive Christ as your Savior because you have hardened your heart so much against God that it is irreversible. So you could say, well, the Holy Spirit's not going to deal with you anymore because you blasphemed him, but it could also be this, is that you don't want him no more. 
that you don't want to deal with God anymore, that you could, you could self-penalize your own heart, so to speak. In Romans chapter number 1, look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So God says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And you might think, where has the wrath of God been revealed from heaven? I've seen no stars fly from the, from the space. I've, mean, I've seen no earthquakes that split America in half. I've seen uh, no volcanoes erupted in Europe. Where is this wrath of God? Because Paul says it is revealed from heaven, that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven now. It already is revealed from heaven. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, unrighteousness. Look at verse 24, Romans 1. How has the wrath of God been revealed from heaven? Look at verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up. God gave them up. So if you don't want God, if you become unthankful, if you've rejected God, if you become vain in your imaginations, verse number 21, if verse number 22, you've became, you profess yourselves to be wise, but really you're fools, verse 23, you change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man, to birds, to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. If that's what you want, if that's what you want, then verse 24, God gave them up. You know what being a reprobate mind is? It is a cursed conscience, that's what it is. It is God simply leaving you alone, that's what it is. God, it's, the judgment of God is this, is that God just does, not, does nothing anymore. That God stops dealing with you, that God stops calling you, that God stops drawing you, that God stops speaking to your heart. The judgment of God is simply this, is that God simply leaves you alone. The worst thing that could ever happen to any soul is that God just simply leaves them alone. That God no longer deals with them anymore. The worst thing that could ever happen to anybody is that God stops dealing with that heart. That is the worst judgment or wrath of God that could ever be revealed or, or imposed upon anybody. That God is just saying... I'm not dealing with you anymore because I don't know about you guys, but I desperately want God to deal with me. I desperately want God to call me. I desperately want Him still to this day, even after repentance and faith. I don't want Him to give up on me. I don't want God to be... to. And listen, for a Christian, it is impossible for this to happen. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, praise God, your heart is not irreversibly hardened because He lives in you. If you know Jesus as your Savior, praise God, you have said yes to the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and you have not, praise God, deviantly blasphemed His Spirit. And I'll say this, I believe it's rare. I, I believe it is, it, is, it is hard to do, I believe. But if a heart can be so irreversibly wicked that it says, I curse the Holy Spirit of God, then the Holy Spirit of God says, fine. If that's what you want, then that is what you get. I'll not bring you to Jesus if you don't ever want to go. Not only can we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, but Romans 1 teaches us, this ain't an amen sermon, is it? Some of you are like, what did I come into tonight? 
I did not plan on this on a Sunday night. <laughs> not only can we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and again, I, again, and if you're a Christian, then praise God you can't and you didn't and you haven't and you can't. But I do seriously, if God is dealing with you to come to Jesus Christ for salvation, I would come to Jesus. Amen? I would say yes to Jesus. Would you saints agree with this? If God offered us one invitation to come to Jesus, then God would be just, wouldn't He? And God would be righteous. And we could also say that God, He would be merciful if all He did was one time in our life say, come to Jesus Christ and be saved. We all could say that God is a merciful God. And that God has offered and extended His hand of mercy. But praise God, how many of us said in our testimonies that He kept calling me, and He kept drawing me, and He kept saying, believe on me, and He kept after me, and He kept after me. He is a merciful and a just and a loving God. Amen? But Romans chapter 1 teaches that we can irre irreversibly harden our hearts against Him. Verse 25 of Romans chapter 1, people can change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator. They could be so humanistic, they, for, they worship themselves, they idolize humanity. They think they're more important than the Creator, which is interesting because in Romans, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter number 4, Paul says in the last days that men's conscience would be seared with a hot iron. They won't even feel anything anymore that they'll become so immoral, their moral compass will become so dark and so seared that it becomes immune to the, to the working of God upon their soul and screaming, this is immoral, this is wrong, this is unbiblical, this is against nature, this is unnatural, and they become so immune to the workings of God, even upon their conscience, that Paul says, in the last days their conscience will be seared with a hot iron. You can't get to it. Look at verse 26 of Romans 1. For this cause God gave them up into vile affections. God said, fine, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Notice that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Think about that. God would never do that. Quit making your own religion up. Stop deciding what God is. Stop deciding what God is, especially if it's contrary to Scripture. Let Scripture tell you what God is. Let Jesus tell you what salvation is. No, stop resisting the Holy Spirit of God in your life and stop re the, the new modern vision according to Jimmy. No! Let God speak. Let the Bible say what it is. As people would think, well, I, God would never do that. God is literally saying, that's what I'll do. I will do this that the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the righteousness of men is what God gave them up to uncleanliness. That is the judgment 
and the wrath of God. Now the question, many people say this, where is God at then? Where is he? That's the point. That is the judgment of God against unrighteousness. God says it is the wrath of God revealed from heaven. Verse 28, Romans 1, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind that is a cursed conscience. God simply leaves them alone. God doesn't do anything to them anymore. He says, fine to do those things which are not convenient. So I believe it's rare one can blaspheme the Holy Ghost of God. An unbeliever can blaspheme the Holy Ghost of God. That the Holy Ghost is tenderly drawing them to Jesus Christ. Drawing them to a Savior to be saved. And that heart filled with blasphemy blasphemes that tender, still small convicting voice in their heart and the Holy Spirit can be quenched and He's like a dove and He can fly away and He can be grieved. And He says, fine, you are left to your own choice. If that's what you want, then that's what you get. A heart can say, no to Jesus, no to Jesus, no, I don't want Jesus, no, I don't want Jesus, but the Holy Spirit says, oh, come to Jesus. Oh, you come to Jesus, and the heart can say, I don't want Jesus, I don't want Jesus, I don't want Jesus, and the Holy Spirit says, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. But I would warn the world, be careful if you attribute any wickedness to the Holy Ghost of God because he can be so offended. He's like, fine, fine. Not only that, but you can be irreversibly hardened in your heart. And lastly, we think, we think well, God would never do these things. Lastly is this, unbelievers can also just simply run out of time. You could think about it, you could like blaspheme yourself. God is drawing you. You've not blasphemed the Spirit. Your heart is, ir is not irreversibly reprobate. Your conscience is not seared, but you just run out of time. You die tonight. And you'd, without Jesus, you would die in condemnation with those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit of God. You're not irreversibly hardened. Your heart is not, but you just run out of time. And God says, come into the ark. It's going to rain. And the door is wide open. But Genesis chapter 6 says, my spirit will not always strive with man. And you just run out of time. And you die tonight. And you don't know Jesus. And you could have known him tonight. And you could have been saved tonight or today. But you just die. Your sleep apnea machine breaks and something happens. Or you get in a car wreck. And you've not blasted the spirit of God. And your heart is not irreversibly hardened. But you just run out of time because you died. Or let's add a fourth one. The rapture happens and he came back and now all of a sudden everything's changed and you don't get the moment. And all of us are, many of the world are just putting it off. And you know what's sad? I think the saddest thing about dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ is this. Just ran out of time. What a waste. What a waste. Some hearts might think, well, I don't like that. I, you know what? You ever, you ever study your Bible and sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow and you do this right here? I don't like it, but I'm going to believe it. It would be easier if it wasn't in there on me, but I'm going to believe it. Like Abraham this morning, you know, I wish I didn't have to wait so long and Eleazar could be my, could be my son, but 
Okay, God, I'm going to believe your word. It's inconvenient. And that's the whole point. Jesus said, if you're going to follow after me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to tell yourself, no, you can't be your own God anymore. You can't be your own Lord. You're done making your own choices. Your opinions are meaningless compared to Scripture. It's Scripture. Let Scripture speak. Jesus said, hey, you can, you can do anything you want to. But if you blaspheme the work of the Holy Ghost, you are in danger of eternal damnation. Isn't that logical, really? If you think about it, I'm closing. Let's say tonight God's Holy Spirit is drawing you to Jesus Christ for salvation. And you, you are accusing the work of God as some wicked act that God is doing to you. That God is extending mercy to you. That Jesus is like the, like the scene in Mark 3. Jesus is going about doing good, Peter said. He's helping people and you're saying he's up to no good? You better be careful there. God the Holy Spirit don't run on no fool's errand. And God the Holy Spirit is calling and drawing sinners to come to repentance. And could you imagine the audacity if that's going on in somebody's heart and that puny soul who Jesus died for compared, I say puny, not in disrespect to their human value, but in the light of God. And that puny soul has the audacity to shake their fist at God after Jesus shed His blood to save them and arose from the dead and created them to beat all. And the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, why don't you come to Jesus and repent? And that heart would have the audacity to blaspheme that work of God going on in their soul, do you think that God is going to lasso that heart and bind that heart with a cord and get drag them to an altar? No, neither should you or I, amen? Let the Holy Spirit of God do His mighty work in the soul. But if someone wants to live a life without Jesus Christ, then that's, then that's what they'll have. And some might ask, would God really send somebody to hell? They wanted a life without God. Then God gives them an eternity without God. You decide. Jesus came. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus freely offered salvation to all. And he's saying, the Holy Spirit might be tonight to some heart saying, you come to me. You come to me. Do you know that every time I believe you tell God no, every time you resist his spirit, have you noticed it gets a little bit easier to resist it? Every time you disobey, it gets a little bit easier to disobey. Hey, this is a serious doctrinal subject tonight. Amen? You know what? I think nobody likes to preach it because you are not going to be popular. There might even be many hearts here tonight say, well, I don't believe that. You know what? And if that's the truth for you, then amen. You are absolutely like anybody entitled to that. But I just want you to do this. Seek and search the Scriptures and come to a biblical conviction about that subject. Search the scriptures. Don't just decide based off your emotion. Let God be God. Let Him be the author and the finisher of salvation. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Praise the Lord. He's freely offering salvation. Amen? Jesus told the Pharisees, the scribes, Pharisees, you all better be careful. You're fixing to have an irreversible choice that you're fixing to do. You know, if for any unbeliever, though, listen to me carefully, any unbeliever, any unbeliever, there was always that last opportunity that they rejected the offering 
of salvation through Jesus Christ, they rejected him. The piano started playing. And God was drawing maybe at a bedside. And God was dealing with that soul driving down the road. And all they have to do is say yes to Jesus Christ. You know, sadly, they could run out of time, couldn't they? That's why Jesus says today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. It's right now. It's not later on. There might not be a later on. There might not be another day. There might not be another moment. I heard one old man say one time, you know, you can't get saved anytime you want to. You got to come when you're getting drawn. You got to come and you won't want to come unless you're getting drawn. Coming to Jesus is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't resist that mighty work of God. Participate. Surrender. And say yes to Jesus. You might be under the opinion that you can't blaspheme the Holy Ghost anymore. You know what? I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope you're right. But even if that's the case, couldn't you also run out of time? Couldn't you also, your heart be irreversibly hardened? Couldn't God just also say, you know what? If that's what they want, then that's what they got. And God gives them over, gives them up to, to a reprobate mind. You know, God is under no obligation. Hear me out. God is under no obligation to save one sinner. You know that? I've heard a bunch of men say, if God saved only one sinner from hell, he would be just, wouldn't he? You know, I can prove that. I've heard other preachers say in the whole church, amens when a preacher says this. When a preacher says, God would be just in damning every one of us to hell. All the saints say, amen, that's right. God's offer of salvation is not based off human merit. It's because God, who loves sinners so much, is freely offering Jesus Christ to all who'd receive him by faith. What a gift that God is offering. What love that God is showing. And we see Jesus on the cross. Hey, there is no excuse anymore, is there? None. Nobody can say that God's not loved me. Nobody can say that Jesus hasn't done enough for me. Nobody could shake their fist from the pit of hell or in this life and be right with God and say that God is so, is, has been so bad to me that it's not true. God has been good to all of us, hasn't he? And he's offered salvation to any soul who would believe on him and be saved. He's offering forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And I wonder tonight if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, if you'd take him by faith as your very own. If you'd believe on him as your Savior, you know what? Do it now. Do it right now. I would not wait a second. I would not wait a second. God is under no obligation to offer you Jesus. But for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Amen. That whosoever believes upon him should not perish but have everlasting life. Some people might say, well, I don't like what Jesus said in Mark chapter number 3. You cannot accuse him of hatred or wickedness, or wrongdoing. For God committed His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Amen? While we were in our sin, there He is dying and bleeding on a cross. No, no heart here tonight can say, you know, I really don't like that what Jesus said. Listen to me. Jesus loves you and died for your sins. 
And the Holy Ghost says, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I wonder if there's a soul like that tonight. Would you obey the Holy Spirit and say yes to Him? Amen? As we sing together. 177. 177.